0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 230 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from The Cyberwire. Our guest this week is Harry Kemsley. He's president of national security and government at Defense Intelligence Organization, JANES. Prior to joining JANES, he spent 25 years in the Royal Air Force. Harry Kemsley is author of a recent opinion piece published in The Hill titled, In OSINT We Trust? In it, he makes the case that many intelligence organizations around the world would do well to increase their use of open source intelligence. To do that, there are cultural issues regarding the reliance on classified sources that may need to be overcome, but in the end, he believes the benefits are worthwhile. Stay with us.
1: I have 25 years of military life behind me. I was flying in Her Majesty's Royal Air Force for that time, although actually I didn't spend that much time flying airplanes. The first seven or eight years after training, uh, I flew Air Force and Tornado F3s in the air defense role. But latterly in my service career, I got more and more involved in ground-based operations around the world and thereby got more involved in intelligence, which is where my journey to where I am now really got underway. Um, after my service, I moved into Hewlett-Packard in the services division and ran their defense practice there for a while, based out of uh, London. And then about eight years ago, was invited to join Jane's um, to help them with their continuing journey from being a book publisher many years ago, an online publisher in the more recent decades, towards now being a much more data-oriented, uh, data-as-a-service business that it is today.
0: For those who might not be familiar with uh, the history of Janes, can you give us a
1: little bit of the background there? Goodness me, yes, I could try. i um, 123 years since we were first formed by Fred T. Janes, who was an avid follower of all things military and also an illustrator. And he spent a great deal of time uh, illustrating and capturing information about all the world's navies and put those into a book, All the World's Fighting Ships, uh, released in the late part of the 19th century. Which actually became a bedrock for many things in the military environment, not least the running of war games. Naval war games were run using his uh, his many books through that time. The history of Jane's from there to today is a continual growth in the vast amount of data Jane's has collected over that many years in the defence and national security realm. And I have to say, as the president of the National Security and Government part of Jane's, it is an absolute pleasure, a real honour actually, to be amongst so much history, so much uh, great data. In the last 15 or 20 years, as I mentioned earlier, what we've been focusing on is becoming much more tuned to the workflow of our customers around the world, the intelligence workflow, not least, and making sure that we've made our content, which has been collected over that many years, much, much more available, much more integratable into their workflows. And that's really why, as I described, we've moved away from the publishing world of Jane's, its history, its legacy, to now being much more a -a data-as-a-service organization. Hmm.
0: And so who are your primary customers these days? What's the spectrum of people who make use of the information you provide?
1: Well, it's mostly in the government realm, and within that, the ministries of defense, departments of defense, uh, intelligence agencies, they're the primary organizations that tend to use the Jane's Foundation on Intelligence. But actually, um, we have a large amount of defense industry organizations. The very same people that are supplying the same customers as ours are interested in working with us uh, in terms of our data being in their infrastructure, for example, or their tool sets. So we're facing defense industry, we're facing uh, the defense and national security community, and we do so um, around the world.
0: Well, uh, the topic of our discussion today is a recent opinion piece that you contributed to The Hill, and it's titled, In OSINT We Trust. What prompted the creation
1: of this article? Actually, two things. Um, One, I have the great privilege of working not just in the US, not just in the UK, but around the world with our customers. And it struck me how frequently I met with customers who were surprised at just how much value they could get from open source intelligence. And I do stress the word intelligence there because I see the distinction between a product that you can use that's based on judgment, it's based on tradecraft, and it's based on good sources, vice the slightly less useful uh, information you can get from open sources, which of course for the intelligence agencies does present problems. So the first thing I noticed was the number of times I encountered organizations that didn't fully appreciate just how much value they could exploit from the open source intelligence environment. And then secondly, it struck me that many of these organizations, now that they'd started to break into the world of open source intelligence and thinking about how they could exploit it, were again, really surprised at just how much time and effort it was saving them, where they didn't now have to do the tasks that had already been done by foundational intelligence providers from open sources. Such as Jane. So it's really those two things: the the lack of fully appreciating the value, potential value of open source intelligence, and secondly, just how much is available and how much time and effort it can save them.
0: Yeah, I was re- as I was reading your piece, it, it struck me that um, it seems that. Many organizations are practically dismissive of OSINT. They sort of uh, they don't even consider the option of it being something that could be useful to them. Is that is that a fair assessment?
1: I think it varies. Uh, to be honest with you, Dave, I think there are organizations in the world that are really trying very hard to exploit the value from open source intelligence and in even open source information. The challenge is that culturally, many of the analysts, many of the decision makers are just not built on a foundation of using open source as a primary or initial uh, source of information. And they tend therefore to be trained and in their day-to-day work, their workflows, push them onto the exquisite techniques and capabilities they have in the more classified environment. If you like, when they start their day, they tend to open up their classified intelligence system. They don't necessarily move straight to the open source environment as being the default place to start. That is changing. I have seen in my work around the world a gradual shift, but it is a cultural shift. It's not just a technical one. And as I know you'd appreciate, and your listeners would appreciate, culture doesn't change quickly. It takes a long time for that to be uh, changed. And I think we've got a ways to go yet.
0: Mm. What are some of the challenges uh, presented by using classified repositories?
1: Well, one of the key things about the exquisite capabilities we can get in the classified environment is that it's a very powerful tool, but it's one that takes a great deal of time, money, and effort to use. And one of the difficulties is that once you've started to use those exquisite tools, they can't be used for other things. And the amount of information you're trying to collect collect against, the amount of topics you're trying to collect, can be so vast that you just don't get the full picture. One of the areas that I believe open source intelligence can help is by priming the system, allowing the operator to see the context, understand the moving parts in the issue they're trying to review, and then from there, launching in with the, the scalpel, if you like, to really understand the detail that they need to. That use of open open source intelligence is just one way it can be used, but it's, it's a way that I've seen used very, very effectively by certain agencies I've worked with that they prime the pump, they get the foundational understanding, the context, and indeed in some cases they get many of the answers they need from the open source without having to use these very expensive, very capable, but frankly fairly limited focus of the classified environment. They just don't have enough capacity and capability to do everything they need to do with a classified tool set.
0: What about the argument that open source intelligence is is by its nature very noisy? You know, you you look at something like social media and uh, there's no shortage of misinformation. And so I could see it being quite a task to have to sort
1: through that. Yeah, that's a very fair point. And actually, it's not just the misinformation, it's the disinformation, the deliberate act of trying to misinform and and, and misguide people that makes the open source environment so noisy. And it's not just that that's a problem, That vast array of media types, the velocity at which it changes, the very volume of open source makes all of it quite, quite different to some of the classified environments. Appreciate that if you were, for example, a signals intelligence analyst, you are receiving very regular reports through your signals intelligence sources that are probably pre-formatted, they are within certain types of use case, and they are at a volume that you can control. The open source is exactly not like that. It is infinitely variable, almost infinitely variable. It is very fast moving and changing. And as you say, it's also full of potentially a lot of noise and misleading information. That's why open source intelligence is quite difficult to do. And I think that is an impediment for many of the agencies who don't have the open source capability, even if they had the capacity to do it. They don't have the capability entirely to wrestle with these Huge volume, variety, etc. Problems. One of the things that I think industry can do for the agencies concerned, therefore, is to provide them with that capacity and/or capability if they don't have it. And that's one of the areas that I think uh, industry and their partners in national security organisations should or could be working much more closely on to enable that partnership, that symbiotic relationship. That's one of the areas that I'd really like to see great, a great deal more attention given to. You know, you point out
0: that there are um, understandable concerns about the quality of some of the OSINT that, that people are collecting. But I think also you make the excellent point that um, just because something is OSINT, it doesn't mean that it doesn't still need to be vetted.
1: Yes, and the other thing about taking the open source or publicly available information, the data and then crafting it into an intelligence product is no different in the open-source environment, other than the complexities I talked about last time, Than it is working with a classified system. You are still going to take, where they're available, multiple sources to triangulate. You're going to verify as much of that triangulation as you can in order that you come up with a reasoned judgment with insight that ultimately can support, you hope, decision-making thereafter. It's the same tradecraft, fundamentally. Albeit, as I've said a couple of times, there are additional complexities in the open source environment because of all the things I described. But the ability to understand that and still work with it, that's where the power can really be exploited from open sources. The ability to understand all the noise in the system, find the outliers, find the things that are likely to be untrue through the standard tradecraft you've used in classified intelligence in the same way you can in unclassified or open source intelligence. Doing that means there is still a huge amount of value. And of course, I'm talking here, Dave, about things that are less clear to us that are perhaps at the edge of the capability of open source. Come with me to the heart of the envelope where I'll give you a very recent example. A customer of ours was looking for an understanding of infrastructure in a country and had embarked upon a number of very expensive time, money, and effort activities to explore the infrastructure of the area they were interested in. And yet, literally, with a click of a mouse, we were able to provide them with all the information they needed about road systems, bridges, buildings, local hospitals, capabilities in hospitals, and all of those things, they were going to spend a great deal of time, money, and effort collecting with classified sourcing. And yet, it was available at a single strike of the mouse button, download it, and there it was from an open source. Yes, of course, they'd want to verify it, but the verification process in that case, was much, much shorter than it would have been to literally build the entire picture from scratch. Do you suppose
0: that was a case of organizational momentum, that you know they, they, they were so used to doing something in a particular way that it just hadn't struck them that these other options were available?
1: I think that's possibly the case. Um, in this particular case, I think there was just a general sense of I didn't know that was available. And hmm. that's the incredible thing about the open-source environment is that there's very little that's not available if you're prepared to go and look for it. And knowing how to look for it, knowing how to verify it, we've talked about a few minutes ago, is more complicated in the open-source environment. That I have no misgivings about, but it is available. And it is about saving time for the analyst, for the decision-maker. It's about understanding the context, and that both of those things can open-source do, But then because you've saved time, because you understand the the context, your ability to move to the really important bit, the bit I really want classified assets on, which is the value added, is where your insights turn into foresight, that you can begin to drive the conversation because you've got the time to do it now, as opposed to having to, in quotes, waste that time doing things that you don't need to, because that information would have been readily available to you from the open source environment.
0: The organizations that, that are finding success in this approach, the, the approach that you recommend here, are, are there things they have in common, or are there best practices that you've that you've observed?
1: Well, one of the things I've observed is a willingness to share and a willingness to open the door. Now, that is difficult for intelligence agencies for a variety of good and bad reasons. The agencies that actually do this already and do it really well, tend to be the ones that aren't in the, in quotes, intelligence community, out of quotes. So come with me to the diplomatic service and you'll find ample evidence of very, very regular default settings to go to the so-called open source environment. That's where they kept much of their insight. Come to another department just down the corridor marked intelligence and you'll find them not doing that. And I don't think it's as easy to say as because it's not, the intelligence communities wish to use it i just don't think they're built from the ground up when they go through training when they go through their indoctrination in, in the processes they work to start with open source and i have to be honest with you they've me back five maybe ten years certainly ten years and you'll find me equally skeptical and i think the big change between then and now has been the way that technology has finally started to deliver against the promises it has been making for a very long time, but actually not delivering against, which is the ability to actually unlock the open source environment, the ability to go and find information and verify it. the augmented intelligence, or what some people prefer to call artificial intelligence capabilities, for example, there are other examples, but for example, AI, for me, has begun to unlock the potential for the open source environment because of its ability to find things, its ability to connect things to save me having to find and connect them and get on with the later part, the more more valuable part of the process.
0: Do you suppose the word is, is getting out? Are you seeing a, a change here that, that people are, are seeing the value in open source intelligence?
1: Yes, I do. But as I said earlier, I don't think we're there. And culture doesn't change by itself. It changes with a consistent and persistent effort from both the community that we talk to, but also commercial organizations like Jane's. We need to continue to work together to understand the value, understand the potential, but also the risks of using the open source environment. Because I don't deny that there are things about open source that need to be very carefully managed. We talked about them a few minutes ago in terms of miss and disinformation, for example. But they can be managed, they can be understood. And even if we don't strive to the very edge of open source, At the more central ground of things that are readily available, there is still value in open source because it just saves time. It just primes the pump in a way that now I, as the analyst, don't have to do for myself.
0: You know, Something we talk about a lot on this program is this notion of actionable intelligence, of taking intelligence or taking information, making it intelligence, but then even that next step of having it be actionable. I'm curious on your take on that. Do you have any insights on
1: that process itself? So... Actionable intelligence, for me, depends on the assurance that you take from the the information you're using to make your decision. The higher your assurance, the more likely you're going to feel ready to action something from it. Now, I'm not going to say that I would, as a default setting, be comfortable actioning insights directly and solely from open source intelligence. Why? Well, we've talked about why there are enough concerns about the content in open source for me to want to be absolutely sure. So I'm not looking at open source necessarily as actionable as a default setting. In the classified environment, with context and with multiple sources, which you can overlay and triangulate, then I believe you get to actionable. Well, of course we do, because that's how very often the most difficult decisions are made. But I think there's a time sensitivity here as well. Let me take you back to a moment in my journey on this particular path around uh, the horrors around the Boston Marathon, the bombing at the end of the, uh, the Boston Marathon, which we will all remember, sadly, uh, mm. some years ago. It struck me at the time, but only after the fact, as I was looking at the images of the scene, the horrible scenes around the, the final straight there, of all the mobile phones that were up in the air recording what was happening at the moment of the incident. Where was the intelligence? Where was the insight? Where was the understanding of what had happened and what now might need to happen in response? Was it A, in the agencies of public safety and national security, or was it in the open source domain? Clearly, it was in the open source domain at that moment. So I think there is a question mark about what we mean by actionability. At the moment of that horrific incident, open source was providing the public safety apparatus with insights that it needed to action. Now, what it did with it thereafter became increasingly classified. But the point I'm making here is, open source or classified, I want it to be actionable because I feel assured that I can use it for me to make an action from. And if you add the time sensitivity, there are times when the open source is the only available source for me to then decide what I need to do. So with those two variables in mind, I would suggest that actionability in the intelligence sense really depends on those two factors.
0: Do you have any recommendations for people who want to champion this? Are there are there ways to present this that you have found um, are or more readily accepted by by folks who may be resistant to change?
1: Yeah, I I would offer two observations from the work I've done, and I had. I have the privilege of working around the globe on this, and I've seen these two things become increasingly successful in terms of how people become more comfortable using open source, having more trust in open source. The first is to look for the foundational information that you really don't have to create for yourself. I gave an example earlier about infrastructure and bridges, buildings, and so on. Really, you don't need to go and collect that information yourself from satellite imagery, et cetera. That is readily available. I don't think many people would have difficulty with that, but you will be amazed at how much foundational intelligence is actually out there. And as you start to get used to building your understanding of your operating environment, your understanding of a potential adversary, the equipment they have, where it's parked, etc., once you start to get familiar and comfortable with accessing that foundational intelligence, then I believe people will begin to understand the power, the potential for open source, And as they start to then move to the edges of foundation intelligence, and perhaps now starting to use it as part of their insight building, their foresight building, even possibly, that's when they'll start to stretch to the to the limits as we understand today for open source. The problem at the moment is, I think we're still seeing too many attempts for particularly technology-led open source providers to pretend they can answer the whole question, and I don't believe that to be true any more than the analysts will be ready to accept that. And I think we need to be a little bit more careful about establishing a strong foundation, which is what I think open source can do comfortably. From there, building in the additional capabilities that open source can provide, and thereby building that trust. That will be the first thing. The second, and I've sort of alluded to it earlier, don't rush to find a technology solution to what is actually not ready for technology to solve it. There are certain aspects of the overall process that unquestionably technology can augment. Collection, connection, the ability to do some of the integration of different data sets. We at Jane's have spent a huge amount of time doing that in recent years and have had some real success. But when you get to the part of the process which is more about judgment, expertise, and frankly, the bits that humans are really good at, stop trying to pretend that the technology can do it for you. Those two things, a foundational approach to build trust, and not allowing yourself to believe that technology can actually solve your problems is where I've seen globally a great deal more success for the growth of open source as a partner in the intelligence community. I have worked in and around many, many different intelligence agencies, and if the impression this story gave was that I thought they were doing a bad job because they weren't using open source, that would be the wrong impression. What I would really like the audience to understand is that open source is there as a partner, as a complement to what they're doing. If they were to engage with open source intelligence providers like James, I believe they would find that they would get to the part they really enjoy and they really need to do in their work, which is the value add, the ability to bring their judgment and their expertise to the discussion, not just spending time doing the collection. So. I applaud the great work that's done by the many, many organizations I get the privilege to work with around the world. I just believe there is more we could do by exploiting open source intelligence to the full degree rather than the partial or less that I've seen still too much of.
0: Our thanks to Harry Kemsley from Jane's for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the recorded future Cyber Daily email where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.comslash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening you